Welcome to the Hurler Lounge, brought to you by Hurl Co. Thanks for joining us, as always. I'm here in the lounge today because we had technical difficulties in this episode and lost about 30 minutes of just Pulitzer Prize-worthy podcast material. Really, really unfortunate. So this this episode ends a bit abruptly, but uh, still wanted to get get it out there, what we had. Um, we'll get together and re-record the last segment and uh, have that out there soon. So, uh, yeah, enjoy the show. The ball is deep. The ball way back. Sitch! Sitch! He jumps and makes the catch. Go! The ball hit high deep. Way back. Way back. Welcome to Burlers Hurlers. Today is May 7th. The White Sox are 11 and 23 and in fourth place. I'm host Dan. This is Don. Uh, sorry for the delay. We were uh, busy lobbying, lobbying congressmen to uh, get funding for a billboard. So on 35th Street, you will see a billboard from the Burler Boys. Fire Jerry. <laughs> Fire Jerry from owning things. We, yeah, so, we meant to do Fire Han, but we got mixed up at the last second. So it's our bad, but yeah, we, you know, we did what we did. We, we blew the op per use, yep. so no yep. big deal. Um, so, Don, in the last episode, we talked about a pretty big stretch of games that were coming up. We had the Phillies, the Rays, the uh, Blue Jays, and then the Rays again. Um, good opponents, one Rays hottest team in baseball and we said we're gonna find out what kind of team we got and uh it wasn't good the Sox were six and ten going out of going into that and i think they they lost every game but one so they were like seven and seven and 19 it it was ugly um they hit historic lows i mean there was a fan graphs article about how bad they are in every category they did have a big emotional win against the Rays, and seems like the ship has been slightly steadied. Uh, interesting little factoid I heard is that Bryce Harper had Tommy John's, who got injured, had Tommy John's surgery, and recovered before the Sox had a two-game winning streak. That was uh, 210 days. Shout out to uh, Jay Cutta on Twitter for always having entertaining Sox suck stats um we've gotten some threatening messages from listeners about the our team uh selection Luis robert shout out to uh cousin brian that's uh at cousin brian on twitter he wasn't thrilled he wanted to see rowan and uh speak of the devil we have uh cousin brian as our first guest on the pod today so welcome brian Thanks for having me, guys. Long-time listener, first-time pod. Nice. Um, I just have to say that last week when you opened the episode saying that it was a call-in episode, I got really excited for 30 seconds and then realized I was listening to it, obviously not live, and couldn't call in. And then Don um, just had bad audio, so it wasn't even a call-in episode. So I got really <laughs> you know, kind of down on that. So I'm really excited to be invited this week. I didn't see it coming. 
um, but happy to be here. Glad to have you. Uh, so, Don, it's it's been nothing but a disaster to start the campaign here. There's no no pretty way to put it. So, h- happy birthday to you, Don, from the Sox. <laughs> it, I wasn't even looking for like a big birthday present on our last podcast. I said, you know, we're six and ten now. Can we just go ten and six the next sixteen? And we went like two and fourteen. It's just absolutely pathetic. Like, did you get caught up in the sell the team, fire Han, fire Kenny uh, movement that was spreading across White Sox fandom? Or were you immune to that the last few weeks? I, I mean, I'm following it. I don't think that the fans have really any input on that. We saw with the guard packs that that took years. I mean, they were vocal about that. I know it's picking up steam. It's cute, but uh, I don't really put much faith in <laughs> Jerry or Rick or Kenny listening to anything that we say at this point. So, I mean, it's funny, and I agree. I think we definitely need a new GM um, immediately. I don't see Jerry selling his shares. It, I mean, just look at it from a business perspective. There's no reason to. Absolutely none. So, I mean, we got to be realistic. No, I agree. I mean, I agree, obviously, but like, I, the Garpax mentioned, I think that's evidence that it's possible Han and Kenny are gone. Like, I know there was a long time, and I know Garpax had been fired like four years before they were actually let go. But there was a huge movement, I think. Like, it reached a tipping point where Jerry genuinely felt like, ugh, all right, I really can't bring these guys back one more year. So I think as long as we keep it up, like, it's possible that Han and Kenny are gone at the end of the year. It's definitely possible. Brian is a huge Bulls fan. Brian, do you want to take us back to the All-Star game when uh, the fire fire guard packs really oh, took off? The All-Star game. I don't remember the moment it took off. There were just so many instances where they clearly did not hold themselves accountable for any you know disappointments from the team. And, and I guess that would be the biggest parallel for me with the White Sox is that we can't keep coming into seasons with these high expectations. And now we're 11 and 23, like we're behind the Tigers at this point. Like what, at what point do we have a conversation about accountability? I mean, and, and improvement and, and it's gotta be players, managers, like it has to go to the top. I know it's not going to go to Reinsdorf. He's, he's got the ego that he's never going to leave that job, but, uh, but yeah, the management is suspect at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. Because at least like in previous years, Reinsdorf can accept mediocrity because he's printing money. Like even if fans are coming to the Sox games, that deal he had with the city with the stadium, like the Sox don't have to be good, just plausibly like eighty and eighty-two, and he prints money. But this has never had. Like the Sox have never had big expectations and been horrible. So I think this really is like a, a genuine turning point for the franchise, assuming we don't rip off like 18 straight wins. But I really right. do think this is it for Kenny and Han. I think so, too. Before we get too deep into that, let's check in on the corpse watch because oh, with sure. this yeah. team, it's always a, a nice long discussion. The biggest news has got to be Eloy Jimenez now has had his appendix removed had an appendectomy and he's out four to six weeks with that biggest more bad news. I'll do all the bad news first burger. Uh, he's gone to the IL as well. Um, on the good side, we've got Tim Anderson back and he's hot 
instantly. Came back, productive, big hits, some big games. We got, what, Joe Kelly back. Diekman has been banished to the netherworld. He was fully, he cleared waivers, I believe, this morning. So he's gone. Yeah, he passed got, away. He's gone, yeah. You'll never see him again. Yeah. got uh, Alexander Colomay back for I don't know what reason. We got Billy Hamilton. He's back. He's already contributing, mixing it up how he does. Colas sent to the minors. Kind of an interesting move. And uh, Adam Hazley is one of our best players by hitting singles into just short center field. I mean, that's that's what we're missing on this team, apparently. <laughs> but the Berlin and, boys, uh, oh. we were on we were on the Hazley bandwagon day one of spring training. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like there. Guy, you know, drafted in the first round a few years ago. He's in his prime years. I mean, give him a look, and he's making it worthwhile. He's having good at bats. I mean, he. Not a ton of power. I think he had a double the other day, but uh, good at bats. Were you at all? What did you think of the Colas demotion? Oh man. Okay, so I'm. I have thoughts. I don't like that he was sent down because it was very likely he was going to suck when he got up here. But once you make the decision that Eli Jimenez is going to be DH. And Oscar Colas is going to be starting right fielder. You have to commit to that for the whole year. You can't like assume like that Oscar Colas is going to be amazing right away. There's no way that would have happened. He was going to suck, but you got to develop him. You got to give him reps so he's awesome in the summer. I, I hate the move. Like now, what we're going to call it, Clint Frazier? Like is that what the 2023 White Sox are? Like give your top prospect a month to figure it out. And if he doesn't, you're calling up like the worst player alive to replace him. Just let Oscar, we're 11 and 23. Give Oscar close 150 games. Like, what are we doing? It's so ridiculous. We got one prospect every 10 years that matters. Now we have one and we're not sticking with them. I think it's like embarrassing. Yeah. I, I think like it was kind of what you're saying. We're 11 and 23. That, was the driving decision. It's like, we're bleeding everywhere. Can we plug a hole? And it's selfish and short-sighted to try to, you know, kind of interrupt his development just because you want to maybe win a couple games here and there. But I thought he was coming along pretty well. I was seeing progress in his approach at the plate and his quality of contact. I, I was not happy with the move either. Just because, I mean, I was ready to, except a one, a zero to one war player out of right field all year while he just sort of figures it out, you know? Exactly. Especially because it's not like he's a 20-year-old that we kind of rushed along and have like a ready-to-go major leaguer if he stumbles. Like Oscar Gillis is 24. He, he needs to be up here getting reps. And it's not like he's taking up bats away from Eloy. He's taking up bats away from genuine, horrible players. So if the choice is Oscar Colas, a 24-year-old who we need to be good right away, like next year, right away, the choices aren't that or Clint Frazier. I think it's inexplicable that we chose Clint Frazier or Adam Hazley, even though I like Adam Hazley, but like, I don't see how this wasn't anticipated by the front office. Did they really think he was going to be awesome in April? I'm, I'm just so frustrated. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you guys. I, I just feel like the move doesn't make sense given the record. It's almost like they're managing the team and the roster based on the need to be competitive, but they're so far from it. You've got to develop that guy. Like he needs to be our right fielder. We need to have a second baseman. We need to need to have guys ready to play. This isn't a Moncada and Berger situation where he's taking away bats from our best hitter, right? Like we don't, you know, the guy behind him, who are we even looking at here, right? We're looking at piles of garbage, like actual yeah, human hot trash. Yeah. Like if Eloy was feeling good and could play right field and Han was saying, you know what? Send Colas down, put Eloy in right field, and then we'll platoon sheets and burger at DH to make sure they get at bats. Like I'd I'd be fine with that, I guess. But Eloy stuck at DH. It just makes like at least put Eloy back in the well, I know the appendectomy ruined it, but this happened before. I'm just like flabbergasted. Because even silly. best case scenario, like even best case scenario, you're still trying to find Burger and Sheets at bats, or you put Sheets in right field, which we all hated last year because he sucks defensively. It's He's not an outfielder. I mean, yeah. prototypically or for his background. I mean, it's just he's not meant to move like that. <laughs> Um, any of those other names spark anything for you, Don or Brian? Of the Corpse Boys? The Corpse Boys, yeah. I Did you think, I'm trying to remember, like rewind back to February and March when we signed Elvis Andrews. Did you think he was going to be good? Because I can't remember if he was going to be good or if we wanted like Lenin Sosa and Roman Gonzalez to get a shot. But all of that's a disaster. That's like a three-headed corpse right there. Andrews, Romy Gonzalez, Lenny, and Sosa. We have like the worst second base group in baseball. Yeah, let's uh, let's leave the corpse watch and start talking about the uh, the terrible baseball team the White Sox are. Because yeah, like let's. That's great. I was just thinking about that this week about. It was February. It was the off season. We were all reeling from the Mike Clevenger saga, and then the Sox did nothing except sign uh, Andrews, which was seen, I think, by us as a good move, like a no brainer. But now that he is the Elvis Andrews that he's kind of been the last three years, not the hot batter savior who almost got us into the playoffs last year. It's like reality's crashing in on that move, really just being pretty average. That was an average free below average. Let's let's be honest. That was a below average move that shored it up. And yeah, I mean <laughs> looking back even more, Rick Hahn like arrogantly talking about, yeah, maybe I'll move Romy if somebody wants to trade for him, if I'll get something. It's like you're not getting oh, anything. He's garbage. Like both of those guys. Like Letting Sosa isn't, I don't think he's as bad, but Romy is awful, awful at the plate. It's, it's bad. So the Andrews move, especially, okay, this is my big thing right now with this team is that I really feel like they've missed the boat hard twice. They missed it with Machado and Harper, which we've talked ad nauseum, but this last off season, if we, we came away with Andrew Benintendi and Mike Clevenger and the rest of the serious contenders came away with the next 10 years superstars 
and there's nobody in free agency for the next two years that's a difference maker. We blew it hard. Like it's it's really setting in for me how how bad of an off season we had. It's and the failures happen in such different ways. Like it's actually staggering the variety of ways in which Hans sucks. Like he fails at bringing in impact free agents. Like Benintendi sucks. He's really really bad. So he fails at that. He fails at developing young players that we need to be good. Like either Lenny and Sosa's Romy Gonzalez's of the world said these about like any young guy, any young guys that like might be good, we can't do that. The pitching uh, acquisitions have sucked. Like Reynaldo Lopez relying on him to be closer, horrible. So the pitching, hitting, defense, every way he could have acquired players, he's failed at that. And we're supposed to want this guy to rebuild again. Like, I know you don't want to talk about, like, the blowing it up, selling the team, fire Rick. But Jerry needs to make a decision in four weeks. Like, if it's June 1st and we're still horrible, do you let Rick Hahn engineer another rebuild? Because you have to trade Giolito. You have to trade Grundahl. You have to trade these guys in June. And are you going to let Hahn architect that? I don't see how you do that. I don't I don't see how you trust him to be the next builder of this team after years of him telling you this team is built for contention, right? Like and and I agree with you about his moves. Like the the pitchers he acquired like Benintendi is this year's Elvis Andrews. You know, he looks okay because the rest of the team is terrible. Right? But and and same for Clevenger, quite frankly. Like he's doing fine, but that's because the rest of our pitching is falling off a cliff. Right, like these are not moving the needle as far as competing, even in the AL Central, much less you know for the playoffs. I, I don't see how you trust him again. Yeah, the pe- like I, Clevenger is like Clevenger's horrible, but I'm just remembering like Clevenger plus Joe Kelly plus Deakman plus mm-hmm. Kendall Graveman, who's like okay. If you add all those salaries up, like those three relievers and Clevenger, that's like thirty million dollars. Like twenty five, like those are the decisions Han makes. We can get twenty five million dollars star or four bad players, and over and over again, he chooses four bad players over one star. Not even four mediocre, like four bad players. Yeah, I think relief pitching is where he is weakest and has crippled this team. He really has, because like let's look at the bullpen right now. Reynaldo has struggled this year, giving up a lot of really big hits. He's looked nasty at times, but uh, in high leverage situations, he's been absolutely horrible. But he's a White Sox guy that we brought up through the minors. I can live with it. What I can't live with is giving Joe Kelly's, Deakman's, Graveman's tens of millions to be average when our top performers, something Don and I have talked about a lot, the way you have a successful bullpen is you just bring guys up through your system or you give guys a shot, cheap shot. Our best relievers are no-name guys that nobody was looking at at the start of the season. Middleton, Santos, those are our best pitchers, and they're not—they're probably making league minimum right now. So the fact that he commits so heavily on a, just a antiquated like part of the equation, middle relief, you know, long relief closers is condemning to me. And it always goes back to the the move that set us cursed 
this team, the Madrigal Kimbrel trade, that represents everything wrong with this current team. We're still reeling from that bad trade. That's a great point about like Middleton and Santos. Like, shout out to them. They're actually like really good. But Han's success in finding them proves how bad of a GM. Two awesome guys for a million dollars combined. What and this isn't like a mystery that like, oh, relievers are easy to find when they're cheap. 29 other teams do this. They pluck guys off the waiver wire, turn them into productive middle relievers. Han sees this, still spends 50 million on relief a year. Not even including Hendricks, who we obviously all love and like hope is okay soon, but he's the only guy who would spend on middle relief and $50 million to a closer. And we suck. Like we're horrible. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's all totally fair. And that's my, my number one reason that I can't trust him is just everything from Madrigal to now has been bad in my opinion. He hasn't made a good move in two and a half years. I really don't think he has. That, that can't be true, right? Like just to get he's he must have done something good. You know what? Me wrong, Don. Yeah, Let okay. I, I he got he got Rodan back, and that one year deal when Rodan's career was like basically over, he brought Rodan back, rebuilt his career, and then then he made a mistake in letting him go. But like at least we got that one Rodan year. But he was even better the year that he let him go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's let's give Rodon a little shout-out real quick. He's having some struggles on the injury list. It's not looking good. I don't even know if he's going to pitch this season. So, like, I can't even give him too much credit or discredit because that was a ticking time bomb. We all knew it. We all love him. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, if that's what we're going on is that we cheaped out and gave Rodon a prove-it deal and then blew it on the prove-it part two deal. <laughs> okay, good job. You get another seven years running the team. You know, what's interesting, though, is like uh, to, to give Han a little bit of credit, if that's where we are right now. If you look at the options we had in December and January, like the other routes we could have gone, resetting Abreu. Abreu's been like literally the worst player in baseball this year. Not that Andrew Bond's been good, and you could argue like, well, the results don't. Uh, impact how bad of a decision it was because you didn't know the results then. Vaughn's been horrible. Madrigal hasn't been good. Madrigal's like a bench player who's not good. Uh, some of the other free agent signings we would have gone after, not producing. So if you want to give Han credit, I think the lens through which to look at that is like he had two bad options going into 2023 and chose the cheapest bad option instead of the more expensive bad option. That's but it's still fair. bad. That's fair. Let's look at, let's talk about the Madrigal thing a little bit more because one thing I find interesting about it is the Cubs were willing to make a move for Madrigal who had flaws and they had Ian Happ and they had Nico Horner in the system and they were still willing to go out and add depth to that position and they've gone even further with Dansby Swanson. So even though I agree with you that Madrigal um, has been bad. Don't you kind of wish we were on the other side of the, of the of the table right now, where we were like going deep on positions instead of like let's get Elvis Andrews for three mil 
and uh, not anything else. <laughs> oh, so like to be to be clear, I, if we got Madrigal tomorrow, I'd buy season tickets. I love the game. <laughs> okay, good. I, I was going to chime in and say yes, he's been bad for the Cubs, but he absolutely fit that role for the White Sox. Like he just played a decent second base and hit 300. Like we need singles. You guys were talking about Adam Hazley being the MVP. <laughs> we, we need to get it on base to score runs and we need to score runs because our pitching's awful. <laughs> so I don't know. I take Nick Madrigal tomorrow too. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, let's talk about the pitching because it's been a bit surprising this year. Um, I'm going to give, I think the player that I'm most disappointed with out of the pitching has been Lance Lynn. I think there's a lot of guys you can point fingers at. Reynaldo, Graveman, Clevenger, I guess, Kopech. There's a lot of bad, but like Lance Lynn, I did not expect to be horrible. And he's been horrible. And he's costing 20 mil, and it's looking like Keuchel V2. On the plus side... We have Giolito with a career, what is it called, renaissance again. He's once again discovered how to pitch. So on the plus side, surprise, I'm going to put Giolito out there. They're kind of, I expected a totally average 200 innings from Giolito, but he has been excellent. And I expected Lynn to be okay, and he's been garbage. Don, Brian, where are you at at the pitching right now? You know what's interesting about Lance Lynn? It's like, I think it's easy to forget that he's he's going to turn 36 next week. He's older than us. So, like, people who think, uh, like, yeah, if he just, you know, if he gets his body right, you know, if he, he works, uh, gets into shape over the summer, he's 36 years old. Like, this is probably it. There's probably no resurgence coming. Like, maybe here and there he could battle, but it... It's one, another one of those things that, like, why couldn't Han have anticipated this? Not to blame him for everything, but, like, really you're relying on a 36-year-old to be your ace when the rest of your rotation is question marks? I don't know. What did you guys also think about Steve Stone's comments about him? Did you hear those about the salads? I didn't hear the comments. What did Steve say? He was, like, um, he, he was asked about Lance Lynn and his struggles. And Steve Stone was like, well, uh, maybe he should start mixing in a few more salads. Like his weight is probably bothering his knee and it's probably making making it so that he can't pitch well. Basically saying like Lance Lynn sucks because he's fat. And Lance Lynn was like very upset about it afterwards. Pretty yeah, wild. I, mean, I, I, I could see him being upset by that, but Steve Stone definitely played the position right? Like can, can speak to the, the physical wear and tear of being a pitcher in major league baseball. Also anyone who has a knee injury, I think it's fair to say that the weight you're carrying is, is, is bearing on that. Right. I don't know, possibly out of line, but, but probably reaching his breaking point for Steve stone. You know? Yeah. Steve stone known to get fired for his views and has never shied away from them, though, which is why people like him. I mean, he he's pretty team-friendly to a point. He does start exposing, you know, the rot to the sun. He does that. And as far as, like, 
commenting on another player's approach. I think if anyone can say it, it is Steve Stone because he did everything he could with what little he had to be a great pitcher. Like if you look back at like his physical profile and the kind of stuff he had, it's remarkable that he won a Cy Young and had a successful career. So I, I am definitely going to allow Steve Stone to throw those stones. (laughs) I mean, that's a good point. Like Steve Stone, this like five ten nebbishy dude from Ohio with just like a weird curveball. Looks at this six six monster Lance Lynn with those ninety five. He's like, dude, could you please, please, just like eat a little healthier? You had the whole city rely on you. I get. It. I was like anti Steve Stone's comments, but now you guys convinced me that yeah, pro Steve Stone fuck Lance Lynn. Eat a salad, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he. Can you imagine having to sit through that? I mean, we all did it. We sat through the losing streak. But uh, he gets frustrated, and he he lets it out. So, you know. Um, so if we move past the, the darkness of that road trip and games against Tampa, I don't have any good news to report about the, like, uh, bounce back, so to say, like the normalization they're still an average or below average team right now. You know, it's not like, okay, we got whooped and now we're really burning. Like by team, you know, team aggregate metrics, they're lower half middle of the, of the league in fielding and batting exactly where they were when we did our first pod, like right in the middle, right below the middle on every important stat, the power is still not there. So I don't know, like I, I'm not like, I know a lot of people wanted to drink some Kool-Aid uh, when we had that three game win streak, but I'm, I'm still pretty down on this team. Like Don has that, Brian has that uh, win, winning games turned it around at all in your mind, or are you still thinking they're pretty bad? I mean, I, they're still very, very bad. But I'll be honest, like, if we didn't win that uh, Tampa game, like, we lost the first three uh, games, won that fourth. If we got swept by Tampa and it was, like, 12 straight losses, I really, really thought, like, Griefful might get fired. Like, I thought there's no way someone enters May or everyone enters May with their jobs. So I I know it sounds dumb, but I really think just, like, winning four out of the next six, it might have saved people's jobs. Especially because you could talk yourself into a resurgence with like Tim Anderson's back, Moncada's coming back, rotation is fully healthy. Uh, Luis Robert is like picking it up. Some of the guys that are typically like struggling, like Andrew Vaughn had that walk off. There's some guys who are seem to be turning around slowly but surely. The Eloy thing is a killer though. Like before Eloy's appendectomy, I kind of felt like yeah, maybe we'll win 20 of our next 30. There'll still be a dogfight to make the playoffs, but like maybe, maybe we have something here. I don't think so. Eloy, I think, is like the nail in that coffin, even though he wasn't even having a good season. What do you think, Brian? Uh, that, that doesn't sound crazy to me at all. That actually has started to occur to me this week. You know, getting down to 11 and 23, if you can't win a third of your games... I, I was wondering, like, where is the hot seat for Pedro Grafal? How long is the leash? You know, 
He's not in a rebuilding situation. They were supposed to be competitive, certainly better than this, right? Like, and, and if we tell ourselves we have the players to compete, you, you've got to consider that conversation. I, I just, I don't know. I don't see them competing for him in the way we thought they would after they got rid of Tony. It also is like very hard for him though, because you know when when White Sox Twitter posts the lineups every morning, and you look at the lineup and you're like, holy shit, seven of these guys should be in Triple A, like literally seven. So like, I I don't blame Griefel. I just think like someone had to take a fall if we enter May on like a 15 game losing streak. Yeah, I think it would have been tough to like truthfully point the finger at Pedro for the failures. Cause I mean, the team's been horrible. Like that was some of the, that stretch of losing was some of the worst at bats I've ever seen in my life for swinging at first pitches, swinging at balls out of the zone, watching meatballs go right over the plate. Like I've, I'd never seen anything like it. I guess like I just took a dump on the turnaround, but I will say the biggest positive I have is the at-bat quality have improved. Like, it's night and day. Two weeks ago to what we've been seeing, it's it's crazy. It's like you're actually watching a baseball team who's trying to work an at-bat, not just swing at the first pitch and get out. So I think there's been some improvement. I, I don't know if I can point the finger at Grafal. It's just so early. I really do think that what Don was talking about June 1st is when we're going to find out if somebody's going to have to take responsibility for what's going on. Because so far, who's been taking the responsibility, the blame, has been the players, which is right. And I think somebody who drew a lot of ire is Luis Robert. So it was a horrible, like, two for 30 uh, streak. And it like got capped with that thrown out at first base, walking to first base with an alleged injury. It's gotten better since then, but I really think he was taking the brunt of the fans' blame, and rightfully so. It was almost like he had never played baseball for two and a half weeks there. It was it was really ugly. <laughs> but to Luis Roberts' credit, like I know it's only been five games since then. He's been unbelievable since Griffel pulled him out of the game for dogging it down first. And yeah. in five games, hits 471, two homers, like three walks, four strikeouts, amazing defense. Like that might have been the catalyst. Like, like let's fucking get it together, guys. No more bullshit. Let's actually go on a winning streak here. And I know it's only five games, but Robert, if we're going to turn it around, we need Robert to be a superstar. Not just a star, like compete for an MVP and he's showing that like, Oh shit, maybe I do need to put this team on my shoulders. Abreu's not here anymore. Eloy is having surgery. Like this is my team. I got it guys. So that's a sense for optimism as well. Robert being awesome. Yeah. I'll jump in there and say that I, I was impressed by Pedro Grafal cause it's not easy to bench your, one of your star players. And Robert is definitely one of our star players who, who knows he is right. Like he carries himself that way. So, so to bench him early in a game where we obviously needed a win, right is making a statement to this team that no one's beyond reproach. No one's going to hot dog their way through a game, right? Like just we need to play the right way in order to try to win some games, right? It was some, sort of a culture statement he made, and, and I respected that. I thought that so, that was huge. 
when they benched him. And then they did the right thing by kind of muddying the water after the game. It's like, oh, maybe he's injured, blah, blah, blah. They created like a specter of maybe something was going on. Everybody who knows what's actually going on knows he got benched for dogging at the first. Oh, I had a hamstring injury that I didn't tell anyone about. Well, no, you got benched. Brian, I noticed you called him a star, but then you object to our uh, correct identification of him as the best center fielder in White Sox history. Can you explain oh, your uh, contradiction? Current... Sorry for contradicting myself. He's a star on this current <laughs> team because we're fielding Elvis Andrews and Andrew Benintendi. But if you want to talk about uh, all-time center fielders, it's got to be Aaron Rowan singing Don't Stop Believing" with Steve Perry at the championship parade, and, and I won't be talked out of it. <laughs> Counterpoint. Imagine Luis Roberts singing that in 2024 on State I, Street on the parade floor. I would love to. I just can't see it. <laughs> I want right, to. Yeah. All right. Back in the lounge on a Tuesday. And there you have it. Thanks for, as always, thanks for listening. I want to thank special guest Brian for coming in. Anyone else who wants to jump in, hey, just give Don or I a shout. Uh, Follow us on Instagram, burlers underscore hurlers. We'll have another episode out uh, around Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Talk some angels. Talk some corpses. The usual. Uh, Until then, thanks for listening.
That just tells you he has blue. Here's an umpire in the American League knows nothing about the game of baseball. That's unbelievable.